0: is Mike Olson. I'm the Director of Development for Stand Up For Kids Orange County and the host of Listen Up, the Stand Up For Kids podcast. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Kim Severini. Kim is a current board member with Stand Up For Kids, a longtime supporter of the organization, and a big part of the We Deliver program that we are currently running. Uh, And so we're going to talk to Kim a little bit about her background and why she got involved with Stand Up for Kids and and what's happening with the We Deliver program and how that's affecting the communities uh, in Orange County. So welcome, Kim. Good to have you. Thank you. All right. So why don't you just share a little bit about what the We Deliver program is that Stand Up for Kids has implemented?
1: We started the program out of need when we were in the COVID-19 in the thick of it back in beginning of April. And we were finding that a lot of our younger um, youth in the program, their families had lost their jobs. They were housekeeping gardeners, cooks, waiters in the various uh, restaurant and, and hotel industry, and they'd all lost their jobs. And we felt a need to reach out to them and ask what they needed. And one of the top things on their list was, you know, groceries, food to feed my family. So, and then in addition to that, the older kids who were in the sober living facilities or in various places actually lost their jobs as well. They were the first to go. Of course, many of them had, again, jobs in the the hospitality business. And they also were without income and, and needed an additional bump up. So we started making deliveries in Orange County back in April, and it uh, it started with non-perishable items. And as we got more and more donations, it's really branched now out into fresh meats, eggs, milk, fresh vegetables. and, And we've added hand sanitizers, masks, games, arts for the kids, uh, things to keep the young adults active and busy, and um, it's really made a huge impact across the county.
0: Well, yeah, and for those who don't know, so our, our age range is 12 to 24 on the youth that we support, and they are both at risk and crisis, in an at-risk or a crisis situation, so some of our youth, on generally on the younger side, have a family, have a house or a apartment or a a situation um, that is deemed at risk based on McKinney Vento criteria. And so, so that's one setup of the kids we support. And then the crisis kids are those that are either living on the streets right now, or one miss one slight misstep away from landing on the streets. Uh, and so we are now a food slash hygiene slash miscellaneous supporter with goods for that for our population, um, which is really cool. And I think one of the other, so with COVID, there's been a lot of stress even in the on the nonprofits that are supporting a lot of the families and kids that we also support. One of the other kind of reasons for implementing the program is to pick up where some of the other distressed nonprofits have left off. So I know specifically in Anaheim that a lot of our families were getting resources from other nonprofits out of the center that we run our programming out of. And so some of that dropped away. So we were kind of picking up the slack, not picking up the slack, but filling a gap in services that our families lost as a result of COVID as well. And I guess pre-COVID, food delivery wasn't really... At least in Orange County, wasn't really in our services cadre. We would provide food at our mentoring sites, and whenever we would go and meet the kids, then lunches or dinners were always part of it. But we never, at least as far as as far as I know, at least in the last few years, we were not really a food delivery organization. But we stepped up during COVID um, as needed. Do you know anything about the Moms or sorry, MAP, uh, Moms Against Poverty, Kim?
1: Yeah. And in fact, actually, they're the ones that are providing quite a bit of the food items for the entire program. And they've been remarkable. And the great thing about them is that they have really stepped up to the fresh food items, not just the non-perishables that you always think of in the back of your mind for donation drives. They're, they're delivering the, the milks and the meats and the fresh produce. And that's made a big difference to the families.
0: Yeah, they actually, they came in uh, with this partnership right before COVID hit. And they donated a, I think they donated both the refrigerator and the freezer that we have in our office. And they give us a monthly stipend, essentially, at no cost to keep the fridge and freezer full, along with the perishable items that really, like you said, is the engine for this We Deliver program. We would be in a different spot if we didn't have Moms Against Poverty, Uh, providing the fuel to to make this program happen. So between uh, Moms Against Poverty and all the other donations that we take in on a weekly basis, um, it's been been what has been needed to to make what that the donation side and then the volunteer side. So people like yourself, Kim, who are actually uh, running out and, and delivering the food to the families in need. So maybe you can share a little bit about how that works. How does, how does our program actually work? How do we do drops and that whole thing?
1: So usually with my husband, um, a lot of times it's myself, but we go twice a week and we start at the office and the volunteers or the office staff put together the actual grocery deliveries with all of the items that they've actually talked to the youth earlier that week and said what they need. And some of them have very specific needs. They may be coming right off the streets and they have nothing. So we take them hygiene kits, we take them clothes, we take them blankets, whatever they need to actually live on. And then other families, they have a big family. So they may have five kids. They're renting one room inside someone's home and they need a lot of the groceries. And so they have actually a bigger grocery delivery. Than the individual youth. And then we take the bags. They have their names on them. They're, we have the addresses. And we usually do five, six deliveries in, a, in any given morning. And they're usually in a short radius from each other. And we call them. They meet us at the door. We have our mask and they meet us at the door with their mask and they take the deliveries. But what's really great about this whole process is. It's a touch point for stand up for kids. So we're able to see how, they, how the living conditions are. We're able to see the, the mental state and the emotional state, especially of the kids that are, are trying to balance sobriety with staying sane in the world of COVID. And then we're able to talk to the parents. And that's been the really special thing that I think about the whole program is I talk to the mothers that are taking the groceries in. And I ask them how they're doing each week. And, you know, you see the fear in their, in their eyes sometime when they have lost everything and they're worried about not being able to pay the rent. And so I've been able to go back to stand up and through stand up, um, they've been able to help with utility bills and other necessities that the families need, not just the food. So I kind of use the food and the hygiene kits and the groceries as a way for a touch point to understand. And then I go back every week to the staff at stand up and say, okay, we've got a kid that I think has fallen off the wagon or that's not in a good place. You know, they were in a great place two weeks ago and they're not doing so good now. And we need another touch point to reach out to them or I like I said I go back to the with the family needs and say this mother is completely devastated that she's about to lose her home what can we do and we've been able to pull through so I really feel that it's a great way to see the kids that we're touching on a weekly basis day in you know weekend and week out and really understand what their needs are
0: yeah and I guess just to put a little context around that so Pre-COVID, we were our our main squeeze is kind of a group mentoring organization where we would go to schools or we'd go to after school facilities or we would go to substance abuse facilities or community centers and meet with our kids in a in a group way and then have some one-on-one time as well. And so come COVID, we've had to adjust. At the same time, adding the We Deliver program, we we adjusted all of our programming to be virtual, the the vast majority. So we're still getting, you know, going virtual has its benefits. Um, It has kind of a, it's much easier to access people, both on the volunteer and the youth side. So getting somebody to have a meeting with you is easier in some ways. But you do, there's definitely... you do lose a lot, too, with the non-physical nature of it. And so having the We Deliver program as another way to have that touch point, like you said, is, is super critical in our, in our virtual world that we're living in from a programming side. Is there any specific situation that you could speak to that kind of brings it home as to what this program is doing for our community?
1: Well, I have a couple of specific examples that you just kind of aha moments that when you're out doing the runs and you're just trying to get the groceries in the hands of the right people and finding the right house and apartment, there's some aha moments that you really leave with going back home and thinking, okay, this is why this is so important. Uh, One of the main things that we saw, named Michelle, she's living in her car and she, we would meet her every week in front of an Illuminations house, which housed her father. And, but it, did, it, did, it couldn't house her. So they weren't taking families. They were just taking single men. And so Michelle lived out of her car. And she would park in front of her father's Illuminations house at night. And she'd sleep in her car. And during the day, she would visit with him on the porch or, the, or on the lawn. And so we would literally meet Michelle at her car and this went on week after week and she was on a list to get housing. She was a very patient kid. She was such a a good kid and she was just in some really bad situations and she didn't have a place to stay. And so little things like we would, I would go deliver her non-perishable items and peanut butter and bread and she didn't have a refrigerator. So we had to alter how we, you know, what, what we delivered there, but to watch, to go from that for a month and a half of her living in her, her car and still keeping the faith and keeping positive, And she was just amazing to actually delivering the groceries at her house where she was housed. And literally I almost started crying because it was so transformational to see this kid go from a little worried, always kept a good attitude, to now she's in this room that she's renting with a safe family. They were pleasant, they had a dog that she loved, and to see her face light up in the difference of actually having a, she said, The most amazing thing is I've been able to take a shower and You just can't even imagine how good that feels, you know, just the smallest things. And that's when you really, it hits home that, you know, you followed her whole journey from the start of, you know, when we were trying to help her and as she was on the wait list for housing and it didn't pull through and all of the setbacks that we had, and then watching her finally pick up her last grocery delivery at her house. And that was, that was pretty special. Another really cool one is to see the kids that we've actually put in hotel rooms. And you see these kids, they've got nothing but the clothes on their back. And this last one, um, about a week ago, I delivered to some basic groceries and hygiene kits and a blanket and some other things to one of the young kids, and he had to have been maybe 19, 20 years old, and he's in a hotel. He comes down to the lobby and he had his mask on and I had my mask on. And he accepted the groceries. And I said, Are you okay? You know, uh, and he said, Yes, I, I'm doing much better. Thank you. And he said, Um, I can't tell you how much this means to me that somebody's actually helping me and giving me groceries. Can I give you a hug? And he's and he teared up and I started tearing up, and oh my God, it was just it was super emotional because i mean these these kids this this is you know we were we're their first stop and we're their first point of contact after they've been on the street and um i just think they're really really grateful and they always thank us and they always are pleasant but it's just really special when you can have the examples like that of you actually knowing that, you, that the organization's made such a huge difference and you've been part of it. And it, it just, makes, just makes you really smile.
0: Awesome. I'm an engineer as my background. So I went to school for, so I'm a numbers guy. So I know that last year we, we supported over 400 youth and that sure that feels like a big number. But when you break it down and you get into what does each one of those numbers mean? So the two stories you told would have equaled two on our overall youth supported for the year so it's great for you to share what each one of those digits um really means in terms of support and care and
1: and everything that stand up for kids does so yeah. I appreciate that uh, one more example before i forget about it we may want to put this in um, we had i delivered groceries to a was a sizable family there i think there were 5 in the family and um, I w- it was an apartment and the apartment landlord had to let me in because the family wasn't there at the time. They were trying to do some paperwork for unemployment and, and welfare anyway. And I, the, when the landlord opened the door for me, I realized there was not one stitch of furniture anywhere. They were sitting, they were sleeping on the floor. They had big, just garbage bags full of their stuff. And it was it was just pretty frightening to think this is, you know, yes, we had housed them, but then they didn't have anything. And so I went back to the organization and they immediately started to gather the basics that a family would need not having anything. And so that was pretty rewarding as well, just to get a peek of, you know, these guys, they're not they're not okay. just because we've housed them now they've got they they need to have an infrastructure they, they need other things in their you know just basics and so it was really cool to be able to kind of peek inside where they were living and realized that they were proud people and didn't want to come back and ask us for the basic needs but you obviously saw that they needed them so that was another really cool experience
0: yeah, and we, uh, so Marquise is one of the youth that just got housed in the last couple of weeks, and Jerry, who's actually, she's a volunteer with us, I don't know if you've met her or not, but she's moving, and she had a bunch of extra furniture, and so long story short, she donated her furniture to Marquise, and the delivery man for the furniture was a former youth. So it's a youth from a, I don't know how far back to be honest, but Justine put out an APB on Facebook that said, "Hey, I need a need a person with a truck to make deliveries of furniture here and there, miscellaneous." And this past youth said, "Hey, I got a truck. I'm available. Let me know." And so on Tuesday, they did that furniture swap. Your furniture.
1: So cool.
0: Yeah. So now um Marquise, who's got a young baby and. Uh, newly housed has some furniture for his family, so um, that made me think of that when you when you said that. But yeah, it's it's fun to fun maybe not isn't isn't the right word, but just being there when people really need you and just offering you know it's not a lot it's not a lot that they need in terms of like monetary or effort, but just that little bit of time that you can give or the that little bit of donation. That couch that you were going to throw away that you now donated and families got members sleeping on that couch, like all those little things matter and they all add up. So if everybody does that little thing um, and we all do it together, it tallies up to a pretty large impact over the course of weeks and months and years. So it's cool. So I want to talk a little bit about you, and I guess a, a, a place to start is how did you find how did you find Stand Up for Kids, and why did you want to? What was the impetus for for finding us?
1: I retired early. I was uh, fortunate to be able to do that with my husband, and I had always given back as much as I possibly could. But I felt I needed to kind of do a little more in the local community. I'd always given back when I traveled. I was in the travel business. And so I was able to always visit orphanages and different ways to give back to third world countries when I was there. But I decided I needed to do something local. And I met Justine at a booth at at an actual church. And she started telling me about what Stand Up for Kids was trying to do. And I realized that this was a very grassroots organization. It wasn't a big organization. It actually touched locals in the community. And I felt that by doing something that was local and grassroots, I really felt that I could see my results and make an impact more so than just giving to a charity or, you know, volunteering for a fun run once a year or doing something like that. I really felt that if I got involved in something that was local and grassroots, I could see the impact better. And it, I just wanted to be able to give back and make some sort of change to the world in a better way. And I really felt that stand-up was that solution. And I've just, I've seen so much through the years. I've seen the organization grow, but I've seen the org- how much the organization's been able to change the lives of these youth. And it's just been so rewarding to be part of it. So I've landed in the right place and I'm thrilled.
0: How long, uh, when was it? What, when did you meet Justine? How many, how long ago do you recall? Uh, a little over
1: four years ago.
0: Four years ago, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And you're, a, you're an advisory board member now. And so you're, you have a seat at the table um, helping us figure out where we're going next and how we're going to do it. I, get, I feel the passion every time I talk to you. So it's, it's fun to work alongside you. And I'm, I'm really happy that you're on the team. Well, we're thrilled to have you on the team. You get a lot back too. I'm a staff member, and I like this conversation is gonna make me happier over the course of today Aww. so I don't know. I think it's just I think the more you share the story about what we do and who we are and how it all works the the more you take away the fear of the unknown, and maybe this opens the door to more people getting involved anyway, but um just kind of. I think, again, just sharing the stories illuminates the organization and, and yeah, like I said, hopefully takes some of the fear out of getting involved. So thanks Well, for-
1: I'm, I'm a tip of the iceberg. I mean, Michael, the person who really has the most amazing stories is Justine. All the years and all the youth that, um, I, I will tell you a real quick story. I was here in Huntington Beach. At my grocery store, and a pretty a kid in pretty tough shape. I mean, he was not doing well. He was he was very thin, and you could tell he was high and filthy, dirty, and um, and it was it's a sad story, but it also shows you how much impact you really do have in someone's lives. He, I, I went out, I passed him in the grocery store, came back out, he was still there. And I started talking to him and I introduced Stand Up for Kids and I was, you know, and I, cause I'd come out with, from the grocery store with food and a sandwich and bottled water and some things for him to take with him in his backpack. And I started talking to him. Well, anyway, come to find out he was a kid in our program and in the very beginning, and he said, "Ah, oh, I know, Stand Up, Justine. And she, he goes. I still remember her. Oh, she was such a such a nice person, and she was so kind to me. And he said, I want you to go back and tell Justine that to not lose faith in me. That I just have some mental illnesses that I that can't that you can't fix. And he said, uh, I can't be fixed, but I'll never forget how much Justine and Stand Up for Kids did for me. So I gave him another card. Of course, I called Justine immediately. He, she knew exactly who the kid was. She didn't know where where he was because he had, you know, stepped out of the program. But she was so thankful to know he was still alive. And but he knew who she was, and he said, "Please just tell her I'm okay. I just can't be fixed. And so the street is going to be my life." And I called, you know, and, and. And and I I gave him the stand up card. And I said, please keep this card in your backpack. And when you feel that you're ready to get help, we're we're always here for you. And so he did, he put the card in his backpack. And he said, I know where to find you. I know where to find you. But you know, that's a case where it, it wasn't good. He did fall out of the program and land back on the street, which some of our kids do do. But to think, that where you just thought, okay, I've lost this child, To for him to still remember the name, he remembered Justine's name, I couldn't believe it, I was just dumbfounded, and um, that, that was also a, a true testament to the organization, that had I not felt I was with the right organization early on, I certainly did after that conversation with a youth, that it, it didn't end, end up so well, but he he really felt grateful for what we were able to do for him. So that was really special. But Justine's probably got a million stories like that.
0: I'm sure she does. Wow. So yeah. You know, so if you could tell our listeners, if you could leave our listeners with something to finish us off here, uh, what would you say?
1: You know, I think, and I still have friends and family that uh, don't understand homelessness. And I think if I could tell the audience anything is that there's not one size fits all. Every single solitary kid on the street has a story and they didn't necessarily get there because they did something wrong. They they uh, Most of them got there because they have a mental illness. Um, most of them got there because they were born into the wrong family and had really bad parents that very much abuse them or didn't accept them. One size doesn't fit all. And you can't think that a kid on the street just by saying, okay, if they got a job and get them off, they're just being bums. And if you got them a job, then it would fix everything. Because the youth that we have in our program, it ranges the gambit. I mean, from you know, sexually abused to identity crisis to mental health to parents that were horrible. Some were from good families and got mixed up in drugs and, you know, got, but I would say the majority, that's not the case. Majority is these kids really got a raw deal, either mentally or emotionally. And you can't just look at someone on the street and think they don't matter because every child has a story. And I think that's been the biggest change is now when I see kids on the street, it really changes my perspective of what I think about that child and what I need to do to help get them back in a safe environment. And you're not going to win all. Not everyone's going to fit the bill of of wanting to get help. But um, again, you, you have to do something and you can't just sit back and say, well, everybody else go figure it out. You've got to be part of the solution as well. And I think if anything I could tell you is the kids have a story. It's not usually a good story. They didn't do this to themselves. And um, you need to be part of a solution and not just part of complaining about the problem. And even if it starts with one kid, like it started with me, and look, years later, it's Made a huge difference. So why not? Why not give it a try? And if mentoring's not your thing, then donate. Then your time. Donate um, your time in the back office. Donate your money. Donate your connections to get us things that we need, like furniture and and uh, gift cards and that sort of stuff to help the kids. So you you can. There's a place for you in the organization, and you just can't judge a book by its cover because you just Don't know these these stories and these backgrounds, and they're pretty amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you, Kim. I really appreciate your time. It's been it's been great. Uh, Thank you, Mike, and thank you for even listening to me. (laughs) I really appreciate it. Thank you for
0: listening today to Listen Up, the Stand Up For Good podcast. A big thank you to our production team consisting of associate producer Billy Quinn and editors Kariba Kaka, Pablo Ortega, and Michelle Bernay. Find us on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support Stand Up For Kids, please share this podcast with family, friends, and colleagues. Also, check out our website at StandUpForKids.org slash Orange County. And you can email me directly at MichaelO at StandUpForKids.org to learn more. Please also consider a donation to help getting kids off the streets. 95 cents out of every dollar donated goes directly to support our kids. I'm your host, Michael Olson, director of development at Stand Up For Kids Orange County.